Howdy Wild Detectives. Howdy. Howdy. I'm Logan Cure. Welcome to Inner Moonlight. Inner Moonlight is the monthly poetry reading, the second Wednesday of every month. I am <laughs> excited for tonight. A little bit about how tonight is going to go. We are going to hear from our feature, uh, the illustrious Tarfia Fazula, who I am so, so stoked about, yes. Then there will be a brief intermission during which time I will lightly encourage you to sign up for the open mic. The open mic is a short list. It is one poem per person. So if you want to be on that list, don't hesitate. It does fill. Like I said, I'm so, so excited. Um, you're going to see me fangirl kind of a lot over our feature tonight. Tarfia Fazula is the author of two poetry collections, Seam and Registers of Illuminated Villages. Her poems have appeared widely both here and abroad and have been translated into several languages. In 2016, Tarfia was recognized by the Harvard Law School as one of 50 women inspiring change. Please welcome Tarfia. Hi, all. It's good to be here. Welcome, Tarfia. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, so I asked the same question to all of my features. Tell me something good, Tarfia. Um, this is going to sound really corny, but I've had a really long week, and I'm just going to say I'm the thing that's good tonight <laughs> because I survived this week. It was long, but we made it. We're halfway there, and I'm still surviving. So I'm going to say I'm the thing that's good. Yes, I love it. I love it. I always have to share a good thing myself, and it's sort of in a similar vein. I entered all the grades today. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah, it was bracing. But I'm still here. <laughs> it was bracing. I love that. Yes. So I am super, super stoked to hear your poems tonight. Though, without further ado, we read to us. Yes. So I'm going to start with, um, I'm going to read from the end of my book backwards. I was thinking about how much of my life feels like it's happened out of order. And so, and writing is not a linear process, and I don't think of time as linear, so I want to start from the very end, and I want to start with this little poem that isn't exactly a poem, it's a little piece of prose that's at the end of my first book, and it has the moon in it, which I thought was appropriate for intermittent light. I struggled my way onto a packed bus. I became all that surged past the busy roadside markets, humming with men pulling rickshaws, heavy with bodies. A light breeze from the river was cool on our faces through the open windows. Eager passengers ran alongside us. The bus slowed down. A young man grabbed those arms, pulled them through. The moon filled the dust-polluted sky, a ripe, unsheathed lychee. It wasn't enough light to see clearly by but I still turned my face toward it. Thank you. So most of this book is set in Bangladesh, where my family is from. I had the fortune of going to Bangladesh and living for a year there. I was born in Brooklyn, um, but my parents are from Bangladesh. So most of these poems were either written there or composed from a place of, of thinking about Bangladesh. And this next poem is called En Route to Bangladesh, Another Crisis of Faith. And it's a plain poem. I don't know if y'all write plain poems, but they, I feel like poems written on planes be, are in their own little genre. En route to Bangladesh, another crisis of faith. 
We pass over heavy shadows of large clouds pinned to train cars, lined up like unused blocks of colored chalk, red, then green, blue, then orange, until we are propelled higher and the trains are swallowed by these jagged strictures of land that are no longer sand, nor rock, nor water, but a child's drawing instead, until the distant ocean is the only fabric that fills this punched out plastic hole of a window. That is the blue that falls over everything that is everything, blue on blue on blue, like the one seam of light left always on the airplane ceiling that the pale plastic shades cannot shut away until that narrow vein of light is the only belief left, a cream thick ribbon across our eyes. So I'm a writer because I'm a reader. It's pretty much the only reason that I'm a writer. There are others, but I think that's the main one. And um, when I went to Bangladesh, I could only really take two suitcases for a year there. And I also wanted to take books. And I was just like, how does anybody decide this? And so one of the books I ended up taking, though, was um, the novel Song of the Lark by Willa Cather. So this is called Reading Willa Cather in Bangladesh. And it begins with a quote from Willa Cather. There were again things which seemed destined for her. I would give it up this heaviness built of neither silence nor snow. I am there, but here, back in Virginia, walking through shadows of leaves imprinted damp on gray sidewalks. I would look toward their soil-edged wings and curl away from dim corners where shadows must be rubbed away from mirrors, where a TV might flicker with the figure of a woman dressed in green reading the news aloud from blue inked pages. Daily, it is possible to forget. I would give it up. The commotion of wrought iron windows looking out to fields of tea and rice, the failed light pouring through. I would turn from beggar hands pressed against glass, their hungry and open mouths. I would rather be here, pacing in a room papered with shadows of bare oak limbs than there, sitting quietly in each dark room that holds its breath waits for the hum of a generator to light its cement walls. Thanks, y'all. This is a poem called Dhaka Nocturne. Dhaka is the capital city in Bangladesh. And um, I guess what I'm going to say here is that the speaker in this poem has, has lost a sister and years ago and is thinking about it in this context of being in Bangladesh as an adult. Dhaka Nocturne. I admit that when the falling hour begins to husk the sky free of its saffroning light, I reach for anyone willing to wrap his good arm tight around me for as long as the ribboned darkness allows. Who wants, after all, to be seen too clearly? Still, the heart trusts, climbs back down the old mango tree outside the bar to marvel at the gymnast tornadoing forward, electrifying the air with her soaring body on the TV. Even as the friend beside me asks, 
but how could you sleep in the same room as your dead sister's things? Once, a man I loved told me I was stunning. It terrified me the way grief still can, risen above us in the bar, seeking its own body. I tell her the body, exhausted, does what it must, as it did then, sutured itself to his, said, I'll be yours forever, with all its secretive creases turning steam in this heat-flustered city, wet fever of the nape of my neck, chiffoned beneath his lips, galaxying across it. I do not tell her about the shelves of porcelain-cheeked dolls, tarnished lavender by failing light, the ebony abundance of my mother's hair varnished blue as she slid my sister's child's clothes off the old wooden hangers, then back on. But what else is mine, if not all this strange beauty? Look, I said to him, running my own hands down myself, night-rinsed anaglyph of muscle and bone held fast against everything, yet to plunder this or any twilights, nameless and numinous unfurling. Okay, so I'm going to close this set with a crown of sonnets, and a crown of sonnets is seven sonnets, and they sort of interlock, which you'll hear um, over the course of the poem, and it's another poem that involves one of the few books I was able to bring with me to Bangladesh, which was Paul Ceylon's Collected, and a quote by Paul Ceylon actually opens the collection, and the quote is, um, everything is near and unforgotten. And this is a poem that takes place at an Independence Day celebration in Dhaka, again, the capital city at the Liberation War Museum. If you don't know anything about Bangladeshi history, Bangladesh became its own country in 1971. In a courtyard, in these stacks of chairs before the empty stage, near our we lord, near and graspable, Lord, accept these humble offerings, stacks of biscuits wrapped in cellophane, stacks of bone and glass, thigh bone, spine, stacks of white saucers, porcelain circles into which stacks of lip-worn cups slide neat, jawbone, Lord, galleries of laminated clippings declaring war. Hands unstack chairs into rows, the dead, they still go begging, what for, Lord? Blunt bayonets, once sharp as wind, moon pale stacks of clavicle, a hand. Moon pale stacks of clavicle, a hand brushes dust from. I lost a word that was left to me, sister. The wind severs through us. We sit, wait for songs of nation and loss in neat long rows below this leaf green flag. Its red stitched circle stains us, blood bright blossom stains us, river silk. I saw you, sister, standing in this brilliance. I saw light sawing through a broken car window, thistling us pink. I saw, sister, your bleeding head, an unfurling chapla flower pedaling slow across mute water. Pedaling slow across mute water, boughs of trawlers skimming nets of silver fish that ripple through open hands that will carve them skinless. We were hands. 
We scooped the darkness empty. We are rooted bodies in rows silent before the sparked blue limbs of dancers, leafing the dark light indigo, then jasmine alighting into a cup, then hands overturning postcards bearing flag and flower, hands cradling the replica of a boat, hands thrust there and into nothingness. You, a corpse, sister, bathed jasmine blue. A corpse, sister, bathed jasmine blue, the light leading me from this gift shop into a gallery of gray stones, heart gray puddles, two mouthfuls of silence. The shadow cast by the portrait of a woman trapped in a frame, face hidden behind her own black river of hair, photo that a solemn girl your corpse's age stands still and small before. She asks, did someone hurt her? Did she do something bad? Her mother does not reply. Her father turns, shudders, as the light drinks our silences, parched, as I too turn in light, spine scraped. You teach, you teach your hands to sleep. You teach, you teach your hands to sleep because her hands cannot hold the shape of a shopla flower cut from its green leaf because her hands can't hold grief, nor light, nor sister in her hands fistfuls of her own hair, on her wrists, glass bangles, like the one you struggled over your hand, the same hand that slapped a sister's face. Look, the young girl stands before the photo of the young woman who swore she would not become the old woman, crouched low on a jute mat, holding out to you a bangle. A strange lostness was bodily present. You came near to living. Bodily present, you came near to living, poet, in this small blue dress, still stained the placard states with the blood of the child crushed dead by a soldier's boot. Who failed and fails? Nights, you couldn't bear the threshed sound of your heart's hard beating. I press a button, 1971 springs forth, black and white bodies marching in pixelated rows. Nights, you resuscitated the word, sea overflowed, star overflown, a pixelated woman tied with a white rope to a black pole, her white sari embroidered with mud or blood. Nights, you are the wax to seal what's unwritten. The screen goes white in down drifting light. The screen goes white in down drifting light. The stairwell is a charred tunnel. We walk out of it into the courtyard. My skirt flares a rent into the burnt evening. Something was silent, something went its way. Something gnashes inside me, sister, along the yellow gashes of paint guiding me through these rooms lined with glass cases, past machine gun chains shaped into the word Bangla. Here, on this stage, a dancer bows low her limbs once more before us. The stage goes silent. We gather ourselves, souvenirs of bone. Pray, Lord, we are near. Near are we, Lord, in a courtyard, in these stacks of chairs. Thank you. Okay, so you mentioned the crown of sonnets, um, and I've actually noticed sonnets like throughout your work. Um, so tell us why the sonnet, what draws you to that form? 
You know, I discovered not that long ago that the sonnet was actually conceptualized by lawyers, so I've been asking myself <laughs> the same question. Okay. Um, this is news to me. <laughs> how, did you, how did you discover this? I can't remember exactly. Okay. I can't remember exactly, <laughs> but, but it's legit. It's legit. Okay, I believe um, And so I guess I think I, I am interested in argument I think I was supposed to be a lawyer, but I came, became a poet instead. So maybe that's one answer. Um, <laughs> but I also think I've tried to stop writing sonnets. It, and sometimes like I'll write a poem and I'll be like, here we are at another 14 line poem. I don't know why we're here again, but here we are. Okay. So some of it is compulsion. And I think some of it is that um, I am interested in kind of how you can be as um, both concise and as expansive as possible in a form. And I think that's what form allows you to do any form, including the sonnet. I've likened it before to trying to get a tornado, which is your own life, you know, into a Tupperware container. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and the, the crown, so you said that they're linked. Can you tell us, for audience members, what goes into a crown? Because they are incredibly hard and I'm in awe. <laughs> um, I agree that they're incredibly hard. That yes. poem took me 10,000 gazillion years. Well, I think the, the thing about this book is that it's about kind of both history and, and memory and kind of that intersection of history and memory. And of course, both of those things recur in cycles. So I think I really wanted to get that form right for this particular topic because of that recurrence. And I think that interlocking form really allowed me to both kind of travel far, but then, you know, bring it back in as well. Yes. Yeah. And th that's always like the challenge with like full repeated lines is to like turn it just slightly differently um, and it was so beautiful to hear it to hear the lines repeated and hear them anew so I would just um, this is me fangirling I'm sorry thank you thank you the feeling is very mutual again very mutual if you haven't read Welcome to Midland it's a great book of poems thank you thank you you're gonna make me blush um, yay so you also said one of the other things you said that I really loved um, is that you were a writer because you were a reader so is there something that you're reading or that you read this year that is uh, that's been on your mind stuck with you Oh, gosh. Um, I read so many books at the same time. I'm kind of just chaotic and messy about it. I just go from book to book. It takes me forever. But, you know, I guess, like, I guess I want to talk about um, Sylvia Plath's unabridged journals for a second because I'm reading her unabridged journals. And Sylvia Plath, I think, gets a really bad rap, too, because I've noticed we kind of make fun of how she died. And it's not, I don't know, I had this moment recently where I was like, that's not cool how we do that to her, you know? Agreed. Um, and so reading her journals, I'm just kind of reminded of, like, what a mind she was. And even just kind of in her private writing, she was just meeting the page over and over again and hitting it hard, you know? And so I think um, it's very cool to see kind of the, the musings of somebody who whose life we, you know, then kind of became like very big in the literary sense and who we know these kind of intimate autobiographical details of and maybe we could, you know, I've been thinking about how I too used to kind of make oven jokes and it's just not, I don't know, I had a moment where I was like, that's not funny, why, why are we doing that? Yeah. So. Well, and wild too that she's like famous enough that we can read her journals. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So one of the things that we have in common is that we both grew up, at least partially, in Midland, Texas. The things that you've read so far are sort of about place, but also considering other places from a distance, right? So can you talk about the role of place in like your process and how you write? Yeah, I think place is a big deal to me. I wanted to pretend like it wasn't for a long time, I think, but it actually is. I think what I am close to is what is 
guiding the thinking of the work, but then I also think that the really amazing thing about, just to go back to reading for a second, is that you can kind of like cross these huge vast expanses. You can travel anywhere and you can time travel too. You can go back 10, you know, many, many thousands of years and, and still kind of um, touch the consciousness of somebody else. So I guess I think there's this moment and then there's always kind of the moments that are underneath it and then the moments that come after it. And I think what place has to do with that is that place is sort of like a vessel for all of those moments and a context for it. So I think it's important. I don't think it's everything, but I think it's really important. And where I have been in my life has definitely dictated that. Um, when I was in Bangladesh, I was writing about Texas. When I was in Texas, I was writing about Bangladesh. Right. Um, so, so that's always so interesting to me too, is how kind of that distance kind of, kind of end, uh, ends up informing the way place kind of becomes, you know, a world in your own imagining as well as the place you're actually physically inside of. Yes, yes, and then, and then the world that you create in the poetry, in the book, yes. Beautiful. Okay. Um, I would love it if you'd read some more poems too. Okay, cool. Okay, so we're going to do the same thing here where I'm reading backwards. And so this is my second book with, which um, I have mixed feelings about. I have mixed feelings about this book. This one was harder than the first one, but I have, I'm sort of growing to love it. I'm growing to love it despite. But I'm going to start with a poem that is actually kind of a secret poem. It's like there's, there's the final poem and then there's an extra, extra poem because I'm a nerd and I really like post-credit scenes. And I don't know if y'all remember those CDs that would have hidden tracks. <laughs> Can I curse on this? Can I curse yes, on this? That was my shit. <laughs> that was like really my shit. Like Ani DeFranco had like a live album called Living and Clip. Yes. And the hidden track of that is just like... Phenomenal. Okay. The Hidden Register of Astonishment. Um, and also, I'm just going to say that, like, this is also a sonnet. And, um, and, you know, I kind of intended it as a love poem for somebody who um, I haven't met yet. It was called The Hidden Register of Astonishment. But then it ended up being a love poem to myself. Anyway, it's called The Hidden Register of Astonishment. You always were your own astonished twin, your own shell garden. Don't remark on the past, that old archer. Ask when the crickets were. Ask then, before you drown in the blasphemy of glass crushed by kin. Discover shark's eye, sawtooth, hermit turtle, arrow, wentle trap, a tidal wave inside your shin, the itch of sin and tin. He pressed his teeth to you. You knew, you grew vast. What does it mean to give in? More time for revision. Heave your last doubts into the helixes of tomorrow. The sound of crickets is a fringed shawl, you swear. Astonish yourself, unattach in front of his mirror. You'll press your teeth to him, he'll know your answer. He's visited your village before. You're almost near the city. Only you can invite him to your front door. I have not invited anyone to my front door yet, yet. Okay, so this next poem, I'm a firstborn. Any firstborns in the audience? Yeah, the trauma. Anyway, um, this is a poem called Fable of the Firstborn. I think that's all I wanna say about it. I guess one tiny thing is that my name means joy in Arabic, and there's a little reference to that. Fable of the Firstborn. In the beginning, I was neither image nor identity. Time was a quickening. I was my own dark-watered well. There was no hankering there. 
just another native world and its wishes. Who is memory? Why does she matter to history? Their far off laughter uncurled me. I stretched, I stretched out to hear more closely. In the beginning, I was born a man girl with teeth for toes and a head full of hair hiding the nubs of horns. This was before ally or self-portrait, prodigal performer or forgotten prop. Soon, I was collecting sounds I mimicked at my elders' commands to avoid my own noise. I found myself hiding in a closet beside bags of clothes only the dead would wear. That wasn't the first time I spooned myself. Yes, there were large and small storms. I had a sister until the accident, and a sister was willed after months of grief graft. By then, I was already distant, a tumbleweed rubbing my thorns late into the night when those yesteryears sidle near. Isn't that why you're here? In the end, there's only one way to begin an origin story at the beginning. I know a good one. A monster named Joy in the margins learns the nature of light by revising the dark into song with every register of her seven tongues. Ready? Let's begin. Verse zero, Sura one. Y'all are so cute. Can I say that respectfully? Y'all know that saying like, um, you don't have to go home, but... Okay, so this is called, but you can't stay here. I've always loved that. I've always loved that phrase so much. I'm like, get out of my house. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but politely. Every day I rack up some new cost I can't repay. And even now I'm reluctant to run to the door on nights the world sizzles with drizzle drama, all that drop and give me more. Tonight, the ghouls are later than usual. Isn't it polite to wait before serving the first course? I murmur to my forebears as they slide the biryani from the oven. Uncover the lime wedges and old resentments, they reply. So I do. At last, we lick each virtue from our plates with satisfaction, then settle in to savor spoonfuls of milk-softened toast without dreading tomorrow morning's inevitable convo about self-worth. Speaking of, today I stepped on the cat's tail and sprang back in apology, but when she didn't yelp and dash, I remembered there was no tail, there was no cat. This is a poem called Mother. I was in a really bad car accident a long time ago, which is partly what this book is about, which is why I have misgivings about it, just because I think personal trauma is really challenging to write about. And I haven't written very many poems about my shoulder, which got very badly damaged in the, in the accident. But this is a poem called Mother, and it's, it's about waking up in the hospital after um, the accident. Mother, I woke alone. I had been dreaming of cat-sized blood ants in my blood's homeland, of women who undrape wet and green fields from their torsos. Mother, it was cold. What used to be my arm ached. Nails were hammered to cohere my splintered shoulder. Cotton was pushed between my legs to staunch that month's moon. It was some time before I remembered 
that light can't be brushed onto anyone else's shoulders. And I couldn't stop wondering why the ocean inside the drunkard never sleeps. I left the blankness of those walls and hobbled to where the world was free. I woke alone. Mother, I sat below a tree. It was asleep in a child while cannons fired across fields of cotton. The child knew how to cut and sand the trees into planks and hammer them across her windows. It had been so long since she'd seen the ocean. She was used to drinking smoke. Each time a branch grows back, she mourned, I shake. I asked if she knew where my mother was. The child put her hand on my shoulder. She touched her saw to where I was most free. You woke and held out your arms to me, mother, the napping tree in the village inside of me. You folded me back into fifths, lay me in my sweet acorn cradle. You wrapped my favorite blanket, a black leaf, around me. Thanks, y'all. Um, I'm gonna show off a little bit. I'm gonna do the next one for memory. <laughs> this is called I Told the Water. I spent a little bit of time in Michigan and I wrote this poem for Flint, Michigan during the big water crisis. And thinking about water as both a life giver and also a life taker, um, I think is part of this poem. It's called I Told the Water. Of course, now I'm forgetting it after I said I was gonna show off, which is what I deserve. Hold on. Okay. Okay, here we go. You got this. I got this, thank you. I told the water. I told the water, you're right. The lost are broken sidewalks we try to avoid. Told the water, you fold into fifths. No, I can't do it. It's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. I really wanted it to. Um, but it's because I bragged. It's because I bragged. Okay. This is still impressive. Okay, thank you. Maybe, maybe I'll get going. Um, I told the water, you're right. The lost are broken sidewalks we try to avoid. Told it, the map of you folds into corners small enough to swallow. I told the water, you only exist because of thirst. But beside your glistening membrane, we lie face down in dirt. The first time my father threw me into you, I was hieroglyph, a wet braid caught in your throat. I knew then how war was possible, the urge to defy gravity, to disarm another. I knew then we would kill to be your mirror, you black-eyed barnacle, you graveyard of windows. I told the water last night, I walked out onto the ice wearing only my skin. No one can tell you not to. Thank you. Um, and this is going to be the last poem in this set, and it's called Because There's Still a Sky June Bug. I like to build in a lot of like inside jokes with myself into my poems, and my birthday is in June, so I'm in fact the June bug of the title. Because There's Still a Sky June Bug. I turn on the porch light so the insects will come, so my skin that drank of you can marvel at how quickly it becomes enraged, a luscious feast. I'm waiting to hear myself crystallize with revelation. Who stands guard at rooms locked into tombs? 
Who will dictate the order in which we're consumed? I turn the light off, but who taught me to stay quiet when the power is down? You're so sweet, men say to me, but tonight I want no one. Tonight, a drone in Yemen detonates and rends the sky, and in my father's garden, drone is a stingless bee unable to make honey. I crush the antenna, regard the exoskeleton. Do we ever learn that we're given weapons to be vicious so we can be sweet? I look up, because there is still a sky, the June bug that whirs across it, because there is still a head-scarfed girl who sucks the sugar from a ginger candy. Before she explodes, I look up, and the sky still flints with so many stars above me, above you. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Tarfia, tell us what is next with your work. Okay, so some of you know that I'm super resistant to talking about work that I'm in process. Like, it's kind of superstition. It's kind of being annoying, which I enjoy. Um, <laughs> so I cannot tell you what's next exactly, okay. but I would love to read a poem that is pretty newish and talk about how it came to be. That's okay. okay. That's perfect. A couple months ago, my laptop died, and I didn't, I didn't do the backup thing. And I lost so much work, and I totally spiraled and had like a two-month-long panic attack, basically, about it. And then I got a new laptop, you know, like, I was like, here, Apple Overlord, here's more money, whatever. But it took me forever to actually start working on it, you know. So what I did was, like, I kind of, like, tricked myself, I guess, or sort of, like, I had to go back to some kind of source. And so I um, put a stack of books by... Books by, books by dead people, like books by authors who are no longer with us and decided to just like start my day by reading a little bit, which is how I ended up going back to Sylvia Plath and her unabridged journals. But anyway, so mostly I don't know the people who died, but one of them was somebody who was kind of a mentor to me and that's Jean Valentine. Jean passed really not that long ago and when she died, I couldn't really mourn her. I don't know if this happens to y'all. It was just too close and I had to kind of just like, too much going on and I had to just like, put it somewhere and so the other day like I, I started reading one of her books again and I just kind of lost it and finally cried for her and then I wrote a poem for the first time in a second and so I want to read the poem that really got me going and then I'm going to read the little poem that I wrote kind of in conversation with her. So this is called As With Rosie Steps the Morn and it's in memory of Lorraine Hunt Leverson. Everyone on the other side of the earth standing upside down listening Everyone on the reverse of the picture, on the other side of the measuring eye. The five notes slowly, over and over, and with some light intent, and the whole air, no edge, no center, and the light so thin, so fast. Don't listen to the words. They're only little shapes for what you're saying. They're only cups if you're thirsty. You aren't thirsty. And this is called Ancestor One. There was no reason to think of it. The memory was its own reason, unbidden. But here, I looked at my past self coldly at first. I had been what they call a simp, a fool for the simulation. I looked again, sneering at who I once was. Then all at once, 
I broke free into a run towards she who I had made to survive and gathered her into my arms. I had forgotten how sweet I smelled, what it was to be held, what it was to hold. Thank you so much. That was so good. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. One more time for Tarkvia. Thank you all. All right, we have reached intermission. So that means that our open mic is forthcoming. So if you want to be on the list, remember that it is one poem per person and it's a short list. So we're gonna take a break. It's enough time for you to get a drink, buy a book, tip your bartender. For my podcast <laughs> listeners, I will see you next month. Thank you.